today, write this spirit-inspired psalm. We pray, God, that you would grant us grace from your word today, that we would be uh, as, as the man in Psalm 1 who meditates on your law day and night, on your word, who prospers, who is like a green tree by flowing streams, Lord, the streams of your word, Father. Would you grant us that grace now in Christ's name? Amen. Well, I have something more along the lines of a homily than a sermon for you. Uh, I, I had about an hour to work on this, so, <laughs> uh, or kind of, um, so you'll, you'll have to be merciful to me. The thing that, uh, the main thing, I think, if we could kind of put this uh, throughout this psalm, is the idea of not fretting. It's very much a wisdom psalm. You know, there are all kinds of categories of psalms. Some are... Uh, Psalms of lament. Some are, some are psalms, uh, they call them kingship psalms. They are to the anointed Messiah, right? Psalm 110, things like that. There are also what we call wisdom psalms. Psalms which some of these verses, uh, we could probably look, some of them might even come out of the Proverbs. If not, something very similar comes to them. But it is very much a psalm of wisdom. And I love that it's a psalm you can tell from David of an older David. He says, I, I, I was once young, but now I'm old. He's a man who has seen many years in his life. He's probably gray-haired at this point. He has seen all kinds of great comings and goings. He has basked in his greatest victories, and he has been cast down in his lowest tragedies and defeats. And yet he has seen all this, and he comes to give us great aged wisdom today. Um, I know some of the ladies have said they were going to just go sit, sit with Fran and, and just say, give us your wisdom. And there is so much wisdom that Fran has when you just sit. Um, there's a lot of humor too, but there's a lot of good wisdom. And they're often like, she's not trying to be wise. She just has these nuggets as she talks, you know. That's how David is for us today. Well, he tells us several times to fret not. The main reason why they are not to fret is really evildoers. He gives other kind of reasons we can see, other challenges, and they may in fact all be related in one way or another, but it seems that the main reason that they are not to fret is because of evildoers. Verse 1, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Verse 7, fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices, evil plans and schemes. In verse 8 through 9, fret not yourself, it tends only to evil, for the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. There are, however, other reasons why perhaps the saints might fret. In contrast to the wicked who are said all throughout this to be prospering, it seems that the wicked, or I'm sorry, the righteous have actually many struggles. Not only do they have to worry about wicked evildoers with their wicked schemes, but it seems that they go through hard times. They go through affliction, um, probably here poverty in, to some degree as mentioned, financial hardship. That's an issue for the righteous. Verses 18 through 19, the Lord knows the days of the blameless and their heritage will remain forever, for they are not put to shame in evil times. In the days of Famine, they have abundance. Brothers and sisters, try to wrap your heart around the concept of famine. 
Do you know how much food we throw away in America? <laughs> Do you know how much stuff we throw away in general? It's amazing. I'll tell, I'll tell you, I'm not ashamed to say this. I saw a bike, a perfectly good bike that someone threw away in my apartment complex, and Annika and I took it back home and we sold it on Facebook Marketplace. It's just like, there's so much we throw away here, right? In the ancient world, there would literally be times when there was not a scrap of food to be found. Nowhere. Or times of drought, there's no water to be found, right? Lean times, hard times, these can be encountered by the righteous as well. He says uh, in verse 16, Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. Oftentimes, in the, the eyes of the world, the righteous have very little. They're very poor in the eyes of the world. They have very little in terms of material security, material wealth, very, very little. Furthermore, it seems they might also fret over injustice in the land. Again, connecting to evildoers. And it may even be that evildoers connect with the idea of famine in that they are gathering up all the food and things like that. This may all be interwoven in one kind of idea. Um, but injustice is another thing to fear. It says in verse 33, The Lord will not abandon him to his power or let him be condemned when he is brought to trial. There's oppression. There's a misuse of power. All these things could cause them to fret. However, David says several times, don't fret, fret not, don't worry. He also tells them in verse 8, not only are they to not fret, he says, refrain from anger, forsake wrath. Here we get kind of both kinds of responses that we are tempted to. The one to fret is really flight, fear, right? The one to, to have wrath and anger is to fight, to try to take matters into your own hand, right? Both of these are to be avoided by the saints. Now, there are times when saints can flee in various cases. There are times when saints can fight, but generally here we are to avoid both of these things. We're not to try to um, take matters into our own hand. So often we can, I know I'm so guilty of this, when my heart is fearful, I start to look to myself, the time is time for action, right? It's time to take matters into your own hand. You've waited for the Lord long enough. No, <laughs> you can take action while waiting for the Lord, but you should never say, I've waited for the Lord long enough. That is to try to take matters into your own hands, to bring forth your own justice. He says, refrain from that too. Refrain from that too. Well, what are the saints to do in such hard times? How do we face them? Are we to just die we're not to fret, we're to refrain from anger and wrath, but what are we to do? Simply put, we're to do two things. Trust in the Lord and do good. That's all you have to do. Trust in the Lord and do good. He says in verse 3, trust in the Lord and do good. And I would say all of his other advice, when he gives something positive to do, falls under one of these two things. First, he says we are to trust in the Lord. We are to walk by faith. Trust is the heart of faith. Um, it's called the essence of faith. Faith has other things to it. There's knowledge, there's assent, things like that. But the heart of it, what makes faith faith, 
is trust, leaning on the Lord, letting him be your everything. We are to trust in the Lord. He says this in various other ways throughout the passage. He says in verse 7, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. That's really hard to do, isn't it, brothers and sisters? Fear tells us you can't be still, right? You need to move. The, the, the thought that comes to mind, I'm sure some of you laugh, will laugh at me, it's in Bambi when the hunters are coming through the land and there's the pheasants or the dove or whatever, and they're like, we got to go. They're like, they're like, shut, be quiet, calm down. And she's like, no, we got to go. And she freaks out, right, and she leaves. She could not be still. She was governed by fear, and it ended up getting her in trouble. That is not to be the Christian. We are not to be governed by fear, but by faith. We can be still. We can wait patiently. To fear, that is outlandish. That is utter foolishness. Fear tells you this is a time for action. Faith says the Lord will accomplish the action. It's your time to wait and to look to Him. Next, David says, not only are we to be waiting patiently, waiting by faith, trusting in the Lord, but we are to be busy in righteousness. We are not only to trust in the Lord, but to do good, he says. On the one hand, we might say uh, waiting, being still, that, that is the, a picture of quietness, right? But that's not a quietness of action. It's a quietness of heart and faith. Really, faith, true faith that trusts in the Lord is not still, but very busy, very busy about righteousness' sake. It's very busy with its Father's business. He gives all kinds of ways that we are to do good in the meantime while we wait. Verses 4 through 5, delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, your way, your life, how you will act. He says, commit that to Him. Endeavor to let it be unto the Lord, right? The wicked borrows, he says in verse 21, but does not pay back. But the righteous is generous and gives. How counter, counterintuitive to the flesh and to the world. The, the wicked has so much abundance, and yet they seek more, and they, they are curmudgeonly. The righteous has very, very little. In fact, he's trusting in the Lord to sustain him. And yet, because he trusts in the Lord, he's still generous. Oh, the Lord will provide here. You can have some too. The Lord will provide enough for me. It says in verse 25, He is ever lending generously, and his children become a blessing. He says in verse 30, The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom, and his tongue speaks justice. The law of his God is in his heart. All these things are a picture, uh, an incredible contrast between the righteous and the wicked. We are not to fret. We're not to try to take matters into our own hand. On the one hand, our hearts are to be still and quiet and serene as we trust in the Lord, and our bodies are to be busy with acts of goodness. Very much what the Lord says in the Sermon on the Mount, right? The Gentiles seek all these things. Your, your heavenly Father knows that you need them, but just trust in the Lord and seek first His kingdom, and all these things will be given to you, right? Next in the psalm, a big theme is that in due time, the Lord delivers the righteous. Another contrast, you, you see this with the wicked. On the one hand, 
the wicked seem to be flourishing. And, and at a certain point in time, it seems as though they shall be established forever. In fact, it seems as though they are just increasing in strength, right? They shall never be moved. In fact, they shall perish. They seem like they're permanent, but they're not. Verse 2, they soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. You know, when I first moved out here, I told all the Californians, you would not believe the grass stays green all year round around here. Not this year. Why? Well, you take away water and it's grass. If it doesn't have water, it vanishes. It's so needy. It's so vanishing and fading. It's not permanent, right? That's how the wicked are. Verse 20. But the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish like smoke. They vanish away. Another common metaphor for, for the temporariness of life. Um, smoke, right? It's just here and then it's gone. It, it dissipates and disappears. I particularly like one way that David says this. He says this two times. You will look for them one day, but they won't be found. That's cool. Verses 9 through 10. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. Verses 35 through 36. I have seen a wicked, ruthless man spreading himself like a green laurel tree. Notice, he's, he's a, not only is he a green tree, but he's spreading himself. He's growing. He's increasing. He seems to be spreading all over the place, but he passed away, and behold, he was no more. Though I sought him, he could not be found. I've, I've shared with a couple of you, um, I've found, it's a podcast, but they turned them into videos on YouTube, and it's called The Fall of Civilizations. If, you're, if you have any desire and love for history, you should watch this. They're so amazing. Um, but it is, it is amazing. There, there is, there's so much of this, man, nothing new under the sun kind of sense you take away as you see each episode, and you look at these, these civilizations at their great heights, their great temples, their great palaces, how they, they encompassed lands with thousands and thousands of nations and tongues and all kinds of things, and they're not there today. In fact, in several of the, ep in several of the episodes, in, in one of them, it was the Assyrian Empire. And the Assyrians were very wicked. They were really cruel. They were just, they were vicious people. They were hated by everyone that was under them, Right? but they were powerful. They crushed and conquered. And yet, the episode tells a story of a, a man, a Greek, thousands of years ago, who went through these old ruined cities in the Middle East, and no one was there. And he asked the locals, these Bedouins who were living there, who built these cities? And they didn't even know who built the cities. They didn't even know what the names of the cities were. They weren't there anymore. They were gone. So it will be with all the wicked in due time. By contrast, the righteous, though they are weak, though in many ways they seem to be fading, they seem to be temporary, they seem to be passing into oblivion, it looks like they're barely hanging on by their fingernails. The irony is 
they shall remain forever because the Lord preserves them. Verse 19, they are not put to shame in evil times. In the days of famine, they have abundance. Verse 23, the steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. Then he says, you can imagine David saying this. When I read this, I almost get all choked up, I think, now, because I have kids, and you're like... And I think, those of you who have kids, I think anyone can imagine this. I'm not trying to put anyone out, but when you have financial hardships or any kind of hardships, your heart goes to your kids, right? And you can see David himself having had kids and having experienced saying this as well and, and knowing that this would be a concern on someone's mind. And he says in verse 25, I have been young and now I, have been old, and now I am old and I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. I've never seen it happen. He was an old man. Nope, never once seen it. The Lord preserves them. The last thing to note here is that while the wicked vanishes and is found no more, the righteous not only is preserved through hard times, but they become a permanent feature of it. They are forever because they're held up by the Lord while as the wicked vanish. It says this, they can be found, you could say. The wicked can't be found. Where is he? What was the name of his city? Who built this? We don't know. Where are the righteous? Those shall always be known. Verse 9, for the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Verse 11, but the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Verse 18, the Lord knows the days of the blameless and their heritage will remain forever. And he says, I really, I really like this, verse 37 and 38. Mark the blameless. Behold the upright, for there is a future for a man of peace. But transgressors shall be altogether destroyed, and the future of the wicked shall be cut off. And then lastly, as it ends the psalm, we're given the reason for all this. Why is it then that, that the wicked are, or I'm sorry, that the righteous are preserved from falling? Why is it ultimately, if they have been waiting, they have been doing good, why is it that they are preserved? Well, verse 39, the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. Well, just in closing, brothers and sisters, do not fret. I don't know what kind of uh, things you are encountering in your own life today. Perhaps there are some evildoers in your life. Perhaps there are hard times in one way or another. Perhaps the fear of injustice and oppression that, that exists in the world. Fret not over those things. It only tends towards evil. Furthermore, trust in the Lord. Be still. Being still, that's, that's the hardest part. It, we might be able to say, I, I can be very busy um, in, in, when, I'm, when I'm nervous. I can do the acts of righteousness part, but the being still, silencing my heart and waiting upon the Lord, that's the hard part. But it's also the most important. Because if your heart is not still, you will not be doing acts of righteousness. You will not be doing good and committing your way to the Lord. You will be either fleeing in your heart 
or trying to rescue yourself. Be still. Even cry out to the Lord. Just as the man says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. You can say, Lord, I'm trying to be still, but I need you to really help me be still. Hold me right now. Furthermore, do good. Do good. Commit your way to the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. Though you have very little, give much. Though, though you have very little, it could be anything, not just money. It could be time, resources. You have very little, give much. Why? The Lord will never let you starve. In fact, the more you give in a certain sense, it's an act of faith. You're not tempting the Lord, but in a certain sense, you are putting Him to the test, and He kind of says that's okay in terms of giving to Him, right, being generous. Put me to the test, He says. I'll open the storehouses of heaven. Trust the Lord. He will do those things. And lastly, have the hope in your heart that on the one hand, the Lord shall never let you fall. Even if you stumble, He will uphold your hand. He'll always catch you. And one day, you shall have abundant peace in the land. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your mercies. We thank you for this beautiful psalm. We thank you for the wisdom in it.